Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Today I'm wearing uh, what's become one of my favorite shirts. And if you know, you know what this is. And if you don't, that's okay. I'm about to explain it to you. It's a white blaze. A blaze is a marker that you find in the woods, particularly that shows you a path. And the white blaze path is one of the world's most famous trails. It's the Appalachian Trail. And from Springer Mountain, Georgia, all the way up to the northern terminus, I can't ever pronounce the mountain, that, what Ken said, it's 2,000 plus miles of trail. Now, what's great about the Appalachian Trail, and Ken has hiked uh, sections of the Appalachian Trail, what's great about the Appalachian Trail, that's the AT here, that's the symbol of the Appalachian Trail, the A and the T put together, and it's a white blaze. What's pretty awesome about it is there's never any doubt where the trail is, or at least the parts that I've hiked. I mean, it is clear. It's clear because of the white blaze. The white blaze can be painted directly on a tree. Sometimes you find it on a post. Sometimes you see it uh, on a piece of metal on a tree, but it's clear and it's there. And the path is well-worn. There's no doubt which direction you're heading in. What's also great about the Appalachian Trail is because it is kept up by so many volunteers that All throughout the trail, if there's any divergence, if there's another trail that crosses its path, if there's a shelter just down this little uh, trail here, or if there's a water source, there's a different sign and a different blaze. The blue blaze on the Appalachian Trail means there's water that way. And a lot of times it'll tell you how far away the water is. If you set out and you've never hiked before, you can figure out the Appalachian Trail really quick because the signs are clear. And if you get off path, it's your fault. Or you're having to use the bathroom, and that happens quite often too. But there's no doubt which way the trail goes. Wouldn't it be nice if all of life was that clear? Like it was like a highway, flashing lights, Todd, go this way. Wouldn't it be nice if decisions in life were, were that clear, was as clear as the markings on a trail like the Appalachian Trail, where you had no doubt the direction you were heading in and precisely how far it was going to take you to reach your end destination? Because that's the other thing on the Appalachian Trail. It will tell you. You've got, you're on mile 200. You've got another 2,000 plus miles. It would be nice if life was like that, but it's not. And oftentimes we're faced with decisions that are difficult. And they're not difficult because they're not difficult because, because um, either way is, is, is good. They're not difficult because choosing one way or the other is, uh, is, is a win-win situation. The decisions are difficult most often 
not because of the outcome or the direction, but because of us. It's because we're not clear. It's because we're not precise on where we're heading. It's because we don't really understand what path we're going to be on. So today I want to look at a passage of Scripture as we follow the life of David, and we're going to look at his escape. Now this is his initial escape, and all throughout the David story and narrative, there are multiple escapes that we will read about. But this is his initial escape from Saul. Now, what's interesting is that there are multiple people in this story that we're going to look at today, this section of the story, that have paths laid out before them. And the right path is very clear. But not everybody in the story chooses the right path. And so it was, David had a good friend, and his good friend was Jonathan. Jonathan, his best friend, happened to be the son of Saul, Saul the king who wanted to kill David. Remember last week we looked at this section of Scripture where where Saul thought, hey, if I send David off to do this impossible task, there's a high likelihood he's going to get killed, and I don't have to do it. Well, now that pretense is gone. That failed. And Saul is all about being overt and clear that I am going to kill David. And so we pick up in 1 Samuel 19, verse 1. And so Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all of his servants, that they should kill David. Wow, that made a quick turn, didn't it? It went from, hey, if I put David out there, David might get killed, and that would be a good thing, and I don't have to get my hands dirty, to the gloves are off, and it's just out in the open. Hey, we're going to have to get rid of David. No mixing words, no trying to cover it up. Not trying to do what he's done in the past and have someone else do it. I mean, it is clear that he is motivated to do one thing. And so he tells his son and his closest servants, we've got to kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. They were best friends. And so Jonathan told David, hey, dude, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. So, not only was he wanting to kill him, it was imminent. We go from this king who is dabbling in trying to get someone killed to taking the gloves off and full-on, and now it's not even laying out a plan. It's, we've got to get this done now. Like, there's no, there's no hesitating. There's no dancing around it. We're going to kill David. So, Jonathan says, hey, go hide yourself. Stay in a secret place, verse 3, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are hiding, and I will speak to my father about you, and if I learn anything, I will tell you. And so Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and he said to him, so here's the picture. He tells David to go hide, right? So David's hiding in this field. He's down there. I don't know where he is in the field. I don't know if it's a cornfield. I don't know if it's a wheat field. I don't know what kind of field it is, but he's hiding somewhere in the field. And Jonathan brings Saul out there, 
And he has this interaction with him, and he's hoping that David will catch some of it and be able to hear, but what he can't hear, he's going to tell him himself. That's kind of the setting here. And so Jonathan says this to his father, verse 4, let not the king sin against David because he has not sinned against you and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his own hand and struck down the Philistine and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? So Jonathan has a decision. I mean, think about it. This isn't as clear as it seems. Saul, his father, is the king. He has all the power. Saul, the king, has all the power to not only take away Jonathan's birthright, but to take away all of his, all of his future inheritance. He also has the ability to kill his own son, which wasn't uncommon, by the way, in ancient Middle Eastern history. So something that happened quite regularly, actually. I don't want to give up my throne. I'm going to kill my son, so I don't give it up to my son. I know it's weird. It's bizarre. We don't understand it. But this happened. So Jonathan has this decision. Do I put my future and my life at stake to save David? Or do I just go along with Dad's plan? Now, I would like to think that that is a clear path. That the right path is very clear. It is not right to kill an innocent man. But how many times have we passed up the clear path? The clear right way. Out of selfishness. Out of self-preservation. I mean, that's really what Jonathan has before him. Do I listen to my father and mind him and preserve my future and my wealth and protect myself? Or do I do the right thing and perhaps even lose my life to protect an innocent man? I mean, the answer is clear, right? The right thing is the right thing. And it's always the right time to do the right thing, right? That's the cliche. But it is so true. And so Jonathan has this decision to make, and, and he makes this decision, and he goes and he confronts his father. And do you realize that he doesn't call him father necessarily at the beginning? He calls him king. Let not the king sin against his servant David. He's reminding his father that you're, you're the king here. You're the one with all the power. And justice theory says that the person in power should always look after the interest of the one with no power. That's kind of justice theory in a nutshell. I know that's way oversimplification for those of you who are into philosophy, but that's it in a nutshell. The king, out of just and righteousness, ought to treat David, the lesser, with grace. But he doesn't. And so Jonathan is reminding him, you're the king. You're the adult in the room. Why are you acting like a child? You're the one who should be making the right decision. Let me remind you that he hasn't done anything to deserve this. This isn't just. 
He hasn't sinned against you. And therefore, since he hasn't committed treason, since he hasn't sinned against you, since he hasn't tried to kill you, you are not just in trying to kill him. That's his message. Not only does he confront the king, but he confronts him with hard facts, and he puts it in his face. Now, again, I would like to think I would have the chutzpah that Jonathan has here. But I don't know if I would. Would you? Wealth, power, future, certain life, or the right thing, which could mean danger and losing everything. It's always the right time to do the right thing. And Jonathan knew that, and so he stood up and he told his father, look, you can't do this. You're the king. Wake up. Get a hold of yourself. Verse 6, and Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. And Saul swore, as the Lord Yahweh lives, he shall not be put to death, he being David. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. So remember, they're in this field having this conversation. David may or may not have heard the whole thing. So then Jonathan, I mean, Saul leaves. Jonathan pulls David over and explains to him everything that his father said. And then Jonathan brought David to Saul. And he was in the presence as he had been before. So not only did Jonathan stand in the gap, he then reconnected them. He put his father back on the right path and said, no, this is the clear way forward. And then he reconnected them. This is a beautiful picture on what it means to make the right decision, even if it's the hard decision. As I said in my opening, oftentimes it's really, it's really not the choice that's at issue. I mean, clearly the right choice is what Jonathan did. Clearly. What it really comes down to is us. What that decision really came down to was, was Jonathan willing to do the right thing? And he was. And because of it, David was spared, and he was back in the presence of Saul. Verse 8, and there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with great, a great blow, so they fled before him. The first time that we saw this transition where David kills a bunch of Philistines, it said that all the people in Israel were in awe of David. Now, not only is Israel in awe of David, who else is? The Philistines. They're so much in awe of David that they run at his name now. They are scared of him. Then a harmful spirit came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David happened to be there playing his lyre. We've seen this scene before. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but, but he eluded Saul so, so that he struck the spear into the wall and, and not into David. And David fled and escaped that night. This is the first escape. He fled and he escaped. We're going to see this combination of words over and over and over again in David's story. He fled and he escaped. 
So what's interesting is, while Jonathan is doing the right thing, Saul, who should know better, who clearly should know the right choice and the right path, continuously chooses the wrong thing. Yet again, he's been reconciled to David. His son had talked sense into him. He had a moment of clarity, and then all of a sudden, bam, again, he's right back to making bad decisions. The same bad decision. The same bad decision that will come back to haunt him over and over and over and over again. And I look, at, I look at Saul and I say, you're an idiot. And then I look at me and go, oh, wait a second. I make the same bad decision over and over and over and over again. Even though the path is clear which way I should go, or even though the decision should be clear, I choose the wrong way for whatever reason. Out of habit, out of selfishness, out of fill in the blank. And my guess is that's your story too, at least at some level and in some cases. We are very much at times like Saul. Even though the path is clear, we choose our own path. Not long ago, they found a dead hiker on the Appalachian Trail. And he had wandered off the path and gotten too close to a fall and slipped and fell and died. He wasn't following the blaze. He got off the path. We don't know why. Not sure exactly what happened, what prompted it. Might have been a bathroom break. But whatever it was, he strayed too close to the edge and it ended up in his own destruction because he didn't stay on the right path. It's always the right time to do the right thing. But Saul didn't get that. So, David flees. And we find out that he actually ends up at his own house. And Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. So that same night, he goes and sends spies to watch out. Now remember, who's David married to? Saul's daughter, Michal. So Saul, his son has already straightened him out and chosen the right thing. And now his daughter enters into the story again. So David has gone home and Saul sends spies to his house to watch. But Michal, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. Again, this urgency of Saul to pursue and do the wrong thing. It's controlling him. And here's what I have found about sin. What started out with Saul saying, ah, I'm just going to kind of open up the doors for David to get killed. I'm just going to put him in the right place to get killed, has now escalated to, no, I'm actively seeking to kill him. And then when he realizes he, he's been thwarted, thwarted he, he, he doesn't take a step back and go, yeah, that was a bad idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my ways. Instead, he goes right back to it. He ends up right back in the same place, pursuing the same sin, and that's the thing 
I have noticed about sin. That oftentimes we build a, a boundary. So if this is sin here, I will build a boundary over here and say, I'm not, I'm not going to get near that. And then as time goes on, I'm like, oh, I'm okay here. I'm, I'm all right a little bit closer. I'm still good here. And then it's like, eh, yeah, this is fine. Oh, I'm still good. It's, I can't touch it. And then we get really close. And then that sin no longer becomes something that we built a boundary around, but it becomes something that, that impedes us, that gets in the way, that controls us. And that's what's happening in this evolution of sin with Saul. So bent on killing his son-in-law that he's now going to go to his house where Saul's own daughter lives. I mean, think about that. If you're a parent, who in their right mind would say, yeah, I want to send someone to kill someone in my kid's house. That's a good idea. That won't scar them. That won't be traumatic. That's how bad, that's how desperate, that's how much Saul was controlled by sin. But Mikhail told David, look, you've got to escape tonight or you'll be killed. So Mikhail let David down through the window and he fled away and escaped. Again, fled and escaped. And Mikhail took an image. It was actually something that would have been akin to a, um, a totem. It was shape of a human form. And laid it in the bed and put a pillow over on it. This is kind of like the thing you did as a kid, right? Where you took pillows and you stuffed it in there and you, and you put like a, something up at the, the head so it looked like you were in bed and you pulled it over and then you snuck out. Not that I ever did that. But that's exactly what's going on here. Like she makes the bed and makes it look like he's in the bed. Like even goes so far as to put fake hair on it and everything. Covers it up. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, so he sends the spies, and now he's like, yeah, he's there. I'm going to send someone now to take David and to kill him. Mikhail says, oh, he is sick. He's, he's laying in the bed. And then Saul sent the messenger to see, to see David. So they go back and they say, hey, Saul's laying, I mean, David's in the bed sick, Saul. We can't really go in there because we don't know what he has. He's sick. And then Saul says, no, 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 go back and bring him to me in the bed. Like, if you have to pick up the whole bed, bring the whole bed. Bring him to me so that I may kill him. He's gone from, I'm going to send him off to war where he can get killed, to I'm going to send my spies to spy him out. I'm going to send, well, I'm going to send Jonathan and my workers to go kill him. To, I'm going to send my secret spies, those that no one else knows about, to go kill him. To now, I'm going to kill him. Do you see the downward spiral of sin here? Of making the wrong decision over and over again? You just keep going down. It's a downward spiral that doesn't end anywhere good. And so he says now, bring the whole bed to me and I will kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, they found that it was a fake. 
And Saul said to Michal, his daughter, Why have you deceived me and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? In other words, Michal then makes up this story and says, Yeah, I let him go because he said he would kill me if I didn't. So Michal has a decision to make, just like her brother. My father, the king, is obviously after my husband to kill him. My father, the king, the one with the power, the one with all the finances, the one who's given me everything, the one who's given me this house that I've lived in, the one who watches out after me and provides for me, really, that guy is wanting to kill my husband. And if I refuse, it could end badly for me. Because just like sons being murdered, daughters were murdered as well if they didn't get in line, if they didn't follow the instructions of the king. And so Michal, just like her brother, had a decision to make, and the path was clear. The right thing was the right thing. The right thing was to let her husband go and to help him escape. The right thing was to buy time for him to get away. The right thing was to create a diversion so that David could live. The right thing was the right thing, and she chose it even though it could mean her life. But then she lied about it. Now, this is an interesting philosophical debate. Is it, if it's a lie to protect someone, is it okay? You've heard that, right, before? If you were hiding, if you were hiding Jews in France and the SS came to your door and said, are you hiding Jews? Would you tell the truth or would you lie? I'm choosing the lie. And in that case... Is the lie not better than the consequence of telling the truth to someone evil? And in this case, it's very similar. The greater good is protection. It's a philosophical debate. I know it's off on the edge. It's always interested me. But that's what Mikhail chooses. She chooses the right thing and then tells her father, oh, he was going to kill me. Had to let him go. See, you wouldn't want to be here. You can just leave now. And yet again, we see this dichotomy, right? Two people, his children, choosing the right path and the father unable to. Over and over and over again, pursuing the thing that's going to end up destroying him. The right thing is the right thing. And it's always the right time to do the right thing. No matter how hard it is. So I don't know about you, but I want to choose the right thing, but I don't always. This is a reminder to us that choosing the wrong thing 
leads us down trails we don't want to go to. It leads us into places that we aren't meant to be. It darkens our heart and it clouds our eyes and our thinking. It makes us to begin to act in ways that we never would act before. You start out at one place and you end up somewhere totally different in a place you don't want to be. No, I think when it comes down to it, our path is white blazed and it is clear. And we know exactly which way we should be going. It's just up to us. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.